in some of the audio during this time, this conversation with Hayden, during this Midweek Media Watch. It includes coarse language. It's a little earthy, but it's there for a reason, and you'll understand when you hear it, it's absolutely in keeping with the situation and the timing that the person who was being spoken to uh, was sharing what was happening for them. So, without further ado, Hayden Donnell, welcome. Kia ora, Susanna. Kia ora. You want to start with the obvious, of course, the coverage of Cyclone. I say Gabrielle. People say Gabrielle. Anyway, we'll leave that to the ongoing. I was going to discuss the okay, okay, pronunciation. I don't want to jump again. Colin told me not to talk about it. But, oh, um, okay. So you can blame that on him. This is amazing. The first midweek media watch with an explicit content warning. That's probably making history. Uh, as you say, Cyclone Gabrielle is where I'll start. And I mean, in the old days, I think, of a couple of days ago, before the storm hit, um, Whenever wild weather strikes, these news organisations, we have kind of a playbook, right? We're the staple of the news coverage, we send reporters outside into absolutely atrocious conditions, often in defiance of common sense, civil defence advice, and we cross live to them on air. And so that's how it really started on Sunday and Monday. Cyclone Gabrielle, no exception. Uh, as a storm brood, news organisations, they did what they always do. They sent their reporters into the middle of the worst hit areas to give viewers a picture of what they could expect. So just a little bit of a of, of an example of that. Here's News Hub's Karen Rutherford crossing live to Laura Tupo from the Coromandel on Sunday. Whangamata could find the only way out is actually State Highway 25 to Waihee and with slips predicted on that road in the coming days, emergency services particularly are concerned that they may not get out by road and they're certainly not going to get out by air, Laura. But on Monday, the action actually ramped up even further. We had no less. It was a split screen. We had no less than four reporters in split screen on News Hub at 6, all in matching red jackets as they prepared to cross from some wild weather hotspots, including the Coromandel. So I want to particularly commend uh, Ashley Yates for getting ambitious with her one and orchestrating some live visuals from where she was stationed at Fitianga on the Coromandel Peninsula. We're just going to pan now to show you the ocean, which has a very unusual orange-brown hue to it, just showing exactly what this ocean and the swells are churning up here. I'm not too sure if you'll be able to make that out at home, but it's a very unusual sight to see here in Fitianga. Now, to be clear, uh, she was a little bit worried that that wasn't successful. I want to say that pan was successful. Uh, you could really see the definition of the orangey-brown colour. It did come across for viewers at home. The sea looked pretty bad, and Yates was probably pleased about that, having because in the morning, that, that same morning, she'd had to hand back to the AM, stu- AM show. It's just AM now. The AM studio, uh, because her live cross was too windy for her to even be heard. Now, uh, things were actually handled, and I was surprised about this, a little bit differently at One News. How so? So... I'll start by saying Nicole Bremner, she did stick to the tradition. She did her live cross while standing in the middle of a howling storm. So here's a snippet of that. There is a lot to be done here. Everybody is hoping the worst will be through here within 24 hours. There will still be a great deal of work to do in the wake of the cyclone and all this water. Now, uh... That was a bit of an exception. Others took more sensible measures. Uh, John Campbell clearly doing his live cross indoors. Simon Mersip uh, sensibly taking shelter under a shop awning. 
perhaps some self-preservation creeping in from News Hub's state-owned rival. But I guess the overarching point is that these early reports really did bring across the point that this is going to be pretty bad weather. It looked pretty bad where these reporters were. And it's just a bit of a pity that not all of uh, these reporters' media colleagues were on the same page in reinforcing that precautionary message. Exactly, because some prominent commentators were playing down the storm, right? Yeah, that's right. So watching these reporters being blown around in the wind and drenched in the rain, you could kind of get the impression that the weather was pretty awful and it was due to get even worse. But around the same time they were going to air, you had News Talk ZB's early morning host Kate Hawksby posting a picture of Rangitoto to her Instagram along with a message wondering whether the whole cyclone warning stuff is overblown. So she wrote, with, with all the anxiety inducing alerts and warnings and breathless media coverage, I'm just wondering where the cyclone is. Uh, very much on its way, as it turned out. And devastation ensued in the hours after that story was posted. And despite that, and I was surprised here as well, that she was still reciting uh, pretty similar sentiments on Tuesday morning on News Talk ZB, going to air with an editorial saying, schools were wrong to shut down as Cyclone Gabrielle approached. So here's how she described the situation yesterday morning. Well, the rain's hitting Auckland City now, but yesterday between 8.30 and 3pm when there was hardly any rain or wind, uh, I wondered why kids in all the unaffected areas couldn't have been at school. Yesterday turned out to be an average rainy day. Yes, I get it. Precautions. Hmm. I think there'd be quite a few of us who disagree with the assessment that it was just an average rainy day. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty insensitive term because, I mean, maybe the news hadn't filtered through to the News Talk ZB studio that morning, but as Hawksby was going to air with that assessment, people were searching for a firefighter who was buried in a landslide in Murawai and homes were flooded in the west and the south of Auckland. So uh, even in Auckland, where she was talking about, there was real devastation that had been wreaked by this uh, cyclone and maybe things weren't looking so bad at Chateau Hawksby, but it certainly wasn't an average day of rain. So, I mean, thankfully... Others in the media were able to get out and survey the damage and interview the people who'd suffered. And I'll, I'll start in Auckland. So here's uh, one news interviewing Mutaway resident Alice Cranfield, who'd been evacuated from her house on the night before Hawksby went to air with that editorial. We stuck our head out, out the door and there was just the most insane kind of loud hum with big cracks and bangs and... Yeah, and within, uh, I'd say within a minute or two, a fire person was at our door, banging on the door really loud, screaming, you need to evacuate immediately. So a body has since been found in the search for that firefighter who went missing, and TVNZ and Yvonne Tahana, I think they did really well covering that. And I I want to say, though, that uh, TVNZ again shone some light I guess some of the brighter side of things, the Aucklanders helping out those affected by Cyclone Gabrielle. So Seven Sharp reporter Michael Holland, he was following around this week a contractor named Cam Vernon. And he spent the last few days driving around Franklin, laying down sandbags, patching up roads, transporting police officers and rescuers through floodwaters in the bucket of his tractor. I think it's a John Deere tractor. So he was also doing some smaller jobs, and there's some good audio of this. This is uh, him rescuing his neighbour's letterbox. Hey, the letterbox is there. We can get that. Neighbour's letterbox. We found it on a 
saw it out of the corner of my eyes. We're coming along. That's good. That's good stuff from Cam Vernon. He now uh, the reporter Michael Holland actually asked him because he's he's just out and about doing stuff all day. Uh, for no charge, it seems, for his neighbours. And uh, Michael Holland asked him why he was doing this, and he gave a pretty no-nonsense account of his reasoning for his altruism. Here it is. If you've got gear or ability or you're able to help your neighbour and stuff, and you just got to do it. I mean, if you choose not to and you've got the ability, you're a bit of a twit, in my opinion. That's compelling, succinct. I, I, <laughs> I, I, you can't argue with that. And uh, but without wanting to diminish Vernon's efforts in any way, I mean, Auckland was far from the only place to be hit hard by Cyclone Gabrielle. And actually, it didn't receive even the worst of the damage, it seems. Well, this, this kind of speaks to that wider issue, doesn't it? You know, where news organisations are inclined to focus on major centres and don't cover major events that can happen in smaller towns and regions, do you yeah, think? Or, or, or they're just, I guess, a little bit less plugged into the smaller towns and regions and have to scramble a little bit more. I think that's right. And there is that Auckland-centric thing where a lot of the media are based in Auckland or the Press Gallery in Wellington and some in Christchurch. And so those places can seem like the whole world in the media sometimes. And maybe that's why you had Hawksby saying stuff like, downplaying the cyclone because uh, she wasn't seeing it in her neck of the woods. But, I mean, thankfully the rest of the media did do a little bit better than sections of the commentator class, and they really did get out and get the information that people needed. So I'll note first some really useful explainers. I mean, Hawksby's NZ, NZME stablemate Jamie Morden, he did a great job of elaborating on Gabrielle's link to climate change, as did Kirsty Johnston. Uh, and what was actually her first climate story for stuff, and she hmm. used to focus on family violence, one reporter of the year last year. She's now a climate reporter. Uh, Jamie Morden also delved into what made Gabrielle so freakish and destructive, part of which was climate change. And the other reporters really fanned out to the places where the cyclone did do the most damage, and they produced really useful on-the-ground coverage. And I, I mentioned News Hub with their split screen, the reporters stationed across the country. I also want to say RNZ's Checkpoint has done some pretty impressive stuff this, uh, this week and this afternoon in particular. There was a moving interview with a family who were away during the cyclone but have returned to the news that one of their house sitters, a person who was sitting in their house, uh, may have died as their home was all but destroyed in the flood. Uh, tragic. It's a very moving interview. I also thought um, I want to highlight this stuff, but One News and RNZ did a good job of getting reporters into one of the hardest hit regions, Tairawhiti. Uh Even as it was completely cut off, still is cut off, as we know, from the rest of the country. So RNZ had reporter Kate Green beaming into Morning Report from Gisborne via satellite phone. And you can hear, you can hear that here, some of the challenges she's experiencing. Yeah, so yeah, we are completely cut off. Um, both roads in and out, State Highway 2, State Highway 35, uh, they're underwater. Um, no air travel, uh, no communications. Um, so I also had a chat too, just one second. I've gone old school and I'm writing paper notes. Horrible stuff. Yeah. I remember when I, I had to paper use notes. a notepad, Susanna. <laughs> I remember using shorthand. Yeah, I know. We were back to the old days there for Kate Green. It's, it's, it's tough stuff. Um, and she wasn't the only great source of information from Tairawhiti, uh uh, for RNZ, though, and the other source was a surprise a little bit. Uh, this is a guest star in the form of Bridget Parker, a farmer from Tolaga Bay. And uh, she 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 has been, she's the interview that's been heard around the country. So here, here she is talking to Catherine Ryan on 9 to noon. Couldn't sleep, obviously. 
horrendous night and got up and down all the time to look out the windows and take photos and videos of the most horrendous thing you could ever imagine. Bridget, and I've woken up to just a total fucking carnage. So that was what went out unbleat live on air along with uh, two other bits of, I think, what you described as earthy language. Uh, so that might have been a shock to some RNZ listeners, but it really did make for powerful radio. It was really visceral. Um, and one thing to note is... Uh, I don't know about this. I might get a producer in my ear right now confirming or denying it, but I, it might be a success story for what I understand is an RNZ policy where shows are instructed to phone people who text in with eyewitness accounts of these kinds of storm events and put them on air. So subject to the usual checks for credibility and coherence, of course. So Parker, she was put on air potentially after texting 19 I don't know, but this is the policy uh, and, and she was able to provide this really amazing first-hand account of a disaster in motion, an emotional one, uh, even if it possibly gave a few producers some conniptions. So uh, I'll, I'll play a few more clips from it just because it was quite an amazing interview. So here's a segment where she really communicates the desperation of the situation. We've got great mates, but where's the bloody army? Why don't, can't they get in here and start to bring some bulldozers and graders and shit? I mean, why don't we just left alone? Every time this has happened, the whole district needs the, needs the army in here. End of story. And as it turns out, the army actually has since been activated to deal with the flood cleanup, so chalk up a policy win for Parker there. Uh, just one thing I'd like to note that Parker talked about. She's in Tauraiwhiti, she's on a farm, and that's the damage done to both her property and the wider region by forestry waste, or what's colloquially known as slash. So after a lengthy account of the destruction wreaked by these pine trees and branches washed onto her farm by the floodwaters, she says this. This is what New Zealand doesn't understand. It's one thing to get a cyclone and get water. It's another when the water comes with bloody pine trees attached to it. Well, the slash has become a big talking point after the cyclone, right? Yeah, it, it has become more and more of a focus. And it's interesting that Parker says New Zealand doesn't understand it, because maybe that's true. I, I mentioned one news before. It's reporter John Campbell was out in the field, literally, uh, surveying the damage done by slash. And here he is talking to the farmer, Mike Parker. I suspect this might be a relation of Bridget Parker. I'm not, I don't know. But uh, he's a Tolaga Bay farmer as well, so it seems pretty likely. But this is him checking on his maize field and finding it littered with slash. What's it feel like to look at this, Mike? Oh, it's devastating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really bad. It's, it's, unfortunately, the fear's been realised. We were told it was going to be bad, and um, I didn't think it'd be this bad. I mean, there's just f***ing trees everywhere, and it's just a joke, and we've been calling out and calling out for something to happen, and nothing's happened, and... So what now? So, um, oh, yeah, exactly. What, what now? We just don't know. RNZ also did multiple stories on the damage done by Slash today. The spin-off's written an explainer. Uh, but there, it, it might be the first thing that some people are hearing of it. I mean, it's not like it's not been covered, but it's not been prominent. Uh, this isn't a new problem, and it's something that locals in Tairawhiti have been raising for some time. Well, we also had the death of a boy at the beach where Slash was referenced because yeah. there was a lot of log debris. At Waikanae Beach in Gisborne, yeah, that's right. 11-year-old boy Oliver Sean 
Uh, he died on January 25. There's eyewitness accounts that he might have been struck by a forestry slash in the water before he drowned. And I'm not saying this hasn't been covered. It, it has. Uh, it's subject to an investigation. There's several news outlets, including major ones, that have been printing stories on the case. The Herald on Sunday is one that particularly springs to mind. They did a multi-page spread on Oliver and a strongly worded editorial calling for consequences to be handed down to forestry companies uh, over this. But it is hard to shake the feeling that maybe this is something that would have caused an outcry sooner or it would have been covered more widely or tougher questions and action would be directed towards the forestry industry already if this had happened in a place where we're stationed like Auckland or Wellington. Uh, it's it's not just the cyclone and that death. Though. I mean, it's, it has, as I say, been a massive ongoing issue for Tairawhiti. And maybe it hasn't got this wider cut through, partly because this isn't a place with a huge media presence. It's hardly unique in that respect either. We've also seen the situation in Wairoa, which has been cut off from the outside world by flooding and a complete communications out- outage. I mean, I think images only emerged of it sort of via the media uh, yesterday evening and it's mere Craig Little has taken to communicating via letter. But it's it's one of those situations where these aren't media hotspots and maybe these issues don't come to our attention until there's a disaster like this. I just want to cut in, sorry to break your flow, but hold the next thought because a text has just come in about the conversation with Bridget Parker Bridget Parker, I just want to get your name correct because yes. I heard that interview too. Stop me in my tracks. And it's really worth, I mean, you've done a great job of getting wee snippets, but it is really worth listening to the full conversation she had with Catherine Ryan. But this is just a note because you asked a question yourself. RNZ Rurals interviewed Bridget at 8 o'clock yesterday oh, right. morning and um, because they've been following the story of their farm. And Mike is indeed her husband, uh, who John Campbell you've noted, spoke to. And... Um, Oh, this is, oh, thank you. This is the 9 to Noon team. They're saying they thought it was good, uh, so good, that conversation with Bridget at 8 o'clock that they needed to speak with her for longer on 9 to Noon. So that's how she... That text and policy is still available, though. You might get an it's interview. It's not a policy. It's a practice. I mean, I've been doing it all tonight, and anyone who's mm. been listening um, has been party to us uh, receiving texts and, and getting in touch with different people. So you're not wrong there, but that's not how Bridget arrived on here. As you were, Hayden, as you were. Where were we up to? Oh, we're talking about just maybe how some of these more, uh, some of the smaller towns and regions don't necessarily have the media presence all the time. No, I'm with you. And Slash is probably an example of something that has been getting covered but maybe hasn't gotten the prominence that it would in a place like Auckland. I mean, obviously, it's not an easy solution, though, is it? I mean, places like the Far North or Tairawhiti, they they aren't major markets for commercial media. It's hard to make an economic case for setting up bureaus there. And, I, I mean, I think that shows the value of something like the Public Interest Journalism Fund, controversial as it is, uh, for getting places, well, stuff like Open Justice is a project that's been funded by that. That gets court reporters into smaller towns, which often haven't seen them for some time. Uh, Or just a properly resourced public media sector where they can make these non-commercial decisions to send people to places because it's important to be there. So obviously that was one of the goals of the aborted TVNZ-RNZ merger. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see whether that can happen. Labour is promising extra investment in RNZ, maybe that will go towards funding full-time reporters in some of these regions that have been a little bit neglected for some time. I know we don't have um, 
reporters in some of these no, regions. No, but right we're now. used to. You we're know, when I started it, yeah. with RNZ, I started in Topor, and it was it was a radio station that had one full time journalist and a half, which was me coming in as a trainee. Yeah, it was a one and a do half. Do we still but, have a full time reporter in Topor? No. No. Not physically located in Topol, but it was, you know, we're talking about the 1980s, obviously, but there, it, it has existed. But, you know, it's like us talking about the media and newspapers, same, same. And I thought, totally going off on a tangent here, but worth mentioning, it was wonderful to hear the Mayor of Gisborne talk about the fact that they are printing the Gisborne Herald extra yeah. copies today in order to get the information to people. So maybe we really are experiencing a change. Maybe a little bit of a change here, and it will. Or I needing mean, to, or realizing we need to. This makes the case for, I think, a more regular media presence in these places, and that's not to say the media did a bad job. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> actually, they did a great job. I think of scrambling to these communities, getting out the information people needed. I think people really did see in places like Tairawhiti and the Coromandel and the Hawke's Bay, they saw the best of our media this week and they got all the information they needed, but they probably deserved to have that all the time, not just in disasters and those eyes on their council and their courts and that kind of thing. And that takes a whole lot of properly resourced local reporters charged with serving their interests and a few more commentators that can see past the boundaries of their own plush Auckland suburb. Point made. So, okay, so do we go from cyclones to crime? I think so. Here we go, because you wanted to mention the end of the uh, long-running TV show. Yeah, 107 Aotearoa, or as it used to be known, Police 107, coming to an end after 20 years. Uh, it was originally hosted by Graham Bell, who was famous for using, I mean, earthy language, spicy terms, uh, to describe some of the offenders featuring on the show. So, I mean, here's a compilation of some of his greatest hits. Tonight on Police 107, we're looking for your help to find a group of murderous thugs. Two young creeps, a half-wit with a gun, a false beard and a turban, a mindless lowlife, two vicious morons, two armed and violent mongrels, three stooges, three desperate and wild-eyed gutless goons, three vicious apes, two fat women and a man with a gun, this scruffy little thug, this little germ, lunatic scumbag with a steak knife. That's Graham Bell. It's quite, it's quite confronting to hear all that together. For, uh, I mean, I tuned it out. I'm just saying. There's a lot of insults. I it's did. A, it's a I p- shut particularly my explicit uh, episode of Midweek Media Watch, one of our most controversial ever. Not really that style anymore. That's the old way of doing things. For the last eight years or so, the show has been hosted by Detective Senior Sergeant Rob Lamoto, who was a bit more of a mild-mannered uh, host, a bit more of a mild-mannered style. So... Still, in 2021, it faced criticism from the politician of Fessel Collins for focusing primarily on Māori and Pacifica people and feeding into racial stereotypes. And mm-hmm. the show actually made changes as a result. And if you believe News Talk ZB's Heather Duplessis-Allen, it's those changes and the absence of Bell calling people wild-eyed, gutless goons that supposedly killed it. And if you take TVNZ at their word, it's very tempting to come to the conclusion that this has happened because TVNZ st- started mucking around with the formula. They bowed to pressure from critics who were calling it racist, calling for it to be cancelled, and they started taking the punch out of the thing. Gone was the goodies and baddies language that Graham Bell used to use. It was no longer okay, okay to call the bad guys vicious morons or gutless goons or lunatic scumbags. They were now offenders and suspects. I mean, that sounds like a quite reasonable change in some ways. 
As for a wider point, it's hard to say whether softening up its language made the show rate worse. But, I mean, one key part of Duplessis Allen's point there is incorrect. I mean, TVNZ doesn't actually produce 10.7 Aotearoa. It wasn't the one making changes. I mean... The footage for the show is actually captured by the production company's screen time. Uh, the police actually have complete veto power over it, and they've got a huge amount of editorial control over what goes to air. There's nothing that's going to air on on, on uh, 10.7 Aotearoa without the police's say-so. So if anyone if anyone's wokeifying anything or messing with the formula, it's the police themselves. And despite some of the criticism directed at Andy Costa from some corners of the internet, they're not exactly known as the most woke organisation the police. So the fact is that these ride-along shows have some have always received some criticism. There's some issues inherent to the format. I mean, in the US, the show Cops that faced backlash for what amounted to media collision, basically telling stories which are contentious stories only from the police's point of view. I think 10.7 could be subject to the same criticism. They've also been criticised for intruding on people's moments of personal crisis often, like often these crimes are committed in moments of mental illness and that's not necessarily something that you'll communicate when you're signing a, or be cognizant of when you're signing a release form or getting this this footage. Anyway, uh, I mean, it's all present in the 10.7 show and I mean particularly back in what Duplessis Allen sees as its heyday. So, I mean, for every always blow on the pie moment, there is a footage of someone experiencing acute distress and there, there were some problems with this format. So maybe, maybe it's something that's time has come. Hmm. Well, I'm not mourning its loss. You're Just not, saying. And yeah. there's no reason why anyone would expect me to. I'm yeah. delighted it's over and out. I think it's old-fashioned, and that's my uh, very diplomatic way of saying things that well, I the, can't say on air it's because it's too one. earthy. I mean, it's with with police interacting with, as they say, offenders. Is I mean, this is why we have a court system because there is always. Facts I'm a fan and of contention. Crime Watch. If anyone remembers that, well, you what know, was I'm, that? That was. Uh, live hosts. I think it was live in the studio hosts and looking at real live cases that were happening and asking the public for help and sharing the details and you know if we want to there are so many ways that also have come along but perhaps crime watch didn't rate the way well that's probably what they the say shoot the problem is them. yeah and that's possibly what 107 was trying to do to get to try and yeah, go in that Gary, more community someone's just texted bring Com- back crime crime watch <laughs> okay well rnz uh, late night listeners are going to start a movement um, there is, I mean, there's another topic that we can cover. I mean, this is something that I found a little bit funny on Monday morning. Did you see all of the announcements about uh, the truancy officers being reintroduced? I heard about them. I didn't see them per se, but go ahead. Well, you possibly didn't see that announcement because it didn't actually happen. Ah, okay. But I thought it had happened. It didn't actually happen. So it, I, I thought it was, it was quite an interesting one. Wasn't there something on Sunday that said that something was going to happen on Monday? The only reason I'm saying was that is because I was reading the news on Sunday afternoon and I'm pretty sure that was in the, one of the bulletins. Exactly. I don't know. Am I imagining that? I thought it was a really interesting lesson in how some of the news agenda is shaped by what sort of the government is tipping off the news media as to the agenda is going to be. And uh, this was a situation where the agenda was slightly displaced by, I don't know if you've heard about it, a massive cyclone. So... Uh, uh, that's still. I mean, it was interesting because parts of the media still clung to that agenda. So this is Mike Hosking, uh, desperately trying to get answers out of Chris Hipkins on uh, truancy officers on I think Monday morning. 
So we're bringing back truancy officers? Uh, well, I don't want to make the announcement. We haven't made the announcement yet. In fact, the, the Cabinet's got to sign off on the final details of it. But clearly, we want to get kids back into school. The, um, attendance has been trending down since about 2015, and it was really accelerated over the COVID years in terms of you know kids not attending school, and we've got to get that back on track. I couldn't agree with you more, which is sort of ironic. We've closed all the schools today in a storm. So that that was that. I mean, the cyclone was really setting in there, and it would obviously shape the news agenda. Um, so that, that that column that you mentioned that was by Stuff's Luke Malpass, and he wrote a column focused on the truancy officer announcement that wasn't, and he it actually had to later be corrected to say the announcement didn't happen when it was expected, and was expected to happen later in the week. And there might need to be a correction to that correction because uh, now it seems the truancy officer announcement has been pushed back even further by Cyclone Gabrielle. And you also had, at the same time, Duncan Garner writing in the NBR. Uh, he has a column called Duncan Disorderly, uh, saying that truancy officers, he supports them, but it doesn't go you know, far enough and we need to smash the unions in the education sector and all that sort of stuff. And it's really interesting because I, I don't know why some of these commentators couldn't pivot. <laughs> Right. I mean, you had a cyclone bearing down on us. It was quite well publicized. And uh, nevertheless, we all went on what I guess was meant to be the agenda of the week, the agenda setting topic of the week. And they all wrote about it and they all kind of went, whoops, it doesn't actually exist anymore. So it was an interesting behind the scenes or behind the curtain moment, I thought, for some of the uh, political commentariat and how the news agenda of the week gets shaped.